Okay, so welcome everyone to another episode of uh, Such a Gorgeous Paradox. And today I have uh, a good friend of mine. Uh, and, uh, and actually I wanted to ask Lucy to introduce herself and say who she is to everyone. Oh, uh, thank you, Ryan. Uh, hello, my name is Lucy, Lucy Joy. Um, and I am a black creative arts psychotherapist. Amazing. That lives in England. <laughs> <laughs> yes, let's locate ourselves geographically. Uh, I'm also in England. Um, and um, yeah, like I was saying, Lucy and I actually, we train together as, uh, as drama therapists. And, um, and we, yeah, we're friends throughout, have have been friends for many years now. I only just realized today how long it's been since. We've been <laughs> and um, yeah, and we've yeah we've known each other both as fellow students, but also just quite personally, and mm -hmm. have spent many many a night drinking and talking and and uh, yeah dancing the nights away. Yes, dancing and enjoying life. Um, mm -hmm. Eight, so, eight years, eight years, Ryan. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's approaching the decade. Oh, don't. My goodness. <laughs> um, to start, actually, I wanted to ask, uh, what was the last song you listened to? I think it was NWA, but I don't know. It was just about to get into a song, and I don't know um, which one it was. So I was listening to the NWA album. Nice, nice. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and as you know, the, the podcast is called uh, Such a Gorgeous Paradox, and I'm asking everyone um, at the start, what kind, of, what kind of feelings or thoughts does that expression evoke in you in terms of life uh, in general or even your life in particular? What does it mean for you, Vine? <laughs> well played, well played. <laughs> This is what therapists do, everyone. We just throw the question back at uh, at the at the person. Um, well, to me, to me, it means that um, that life is a is a mix of things. It's a mix of uh, great highs and great lows, um, and uh, and sometimes that mix in itself makes it exciting and makes it. Um, interesting and makes me curious about more life and and I think uh, and I think that's why I called it gorgeous uh, because it brings up a little sort of smile and, and wink when I think <laughs> when I say the word gorgeous you know um, yeah it gives it gives the the idea of a paradox a bit of levity and easiness yeah Yeah, I feel I feel it's a bit. It's paradox. The word sounds quite scientific to me, um, but it seems a bit. I think of the unknown and being in the abyss. Mm. Uh, yeah, that's what it does for me. Yeah, fair enough. And, and parallel processes. Yeah, just parallel things. Mm -hmm. Great. See, that's a great. That's a great picture and image, actually, of something that's evoked <laughs> in you. Uh, I love an abyss. Um, <laughs> and um, yeah, and also I'm, I'm interested in, in asking everyone, what, what would you say is the greatest motivator in, in your life? The greatest motivator now or before I trained as a therapist? Let's go for now. Yeah. Now. Yeah. Um, Oh, it's going to sound really wank, but um, <laughs> I'd say the greatest motivator is love mm. for me. Love. Beautiful. Mm. Can't go wrong with that answer. No, you can't. You no. can't. And and uh, holding hope, actually. Mm. I think love, holding hope, and. Uh, Read, I can't remember. There was a beautiful quote I read that said something like, 
be the therapist that you would have liked when you were a child. Mm. I think that's my, that's my motivation uh, professionally. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing. I'll take that with me as well. Mm. Um, mm. And, and also staying within the here and now and, and staying with the, the experience of being a therapist, how, um, how would you describe for, for drama therapy uh, today for you? Because I'm sure it's something that the meaning has changed perhaps over the years, but I'm interested to know what it means to you now, currently in your, in your profession. Yeah, I think that since I uh, graduated with uh, my master's in drama therapy, I feel like um, I've evolved and I've, I give myself the uh, title of creative arts psychotherapist, not because I'm shunning um, mm. my um, what I specialised in, but I feel that it's just evolved into something just it's just gone on its own journey so um drama therapy being a creative art psychotherapist for me is um working creatively using the mind body and soul and it can be used in any form or way that the client wants to Mm. I'm always led by um so I I think I have like a bag of creativity it's like a rucksack it's not really a heavy rucksack but it feels like a massive weighty but light rucksack that's full of so much richness um but I feel when I'm working with a client that I find out what they want to do and then I use my talents to um be able to sit with them be with them support them and use um, their creativity as an in to find out who they are and to give them the tools to allow them to express their feelings. And sometimes it might be in body. Sometimes it might be completely without words. Mm. Sometimes it's with animation. I've gone down uh, an animation route. Um, Sometimes it's with singing. Sometimes it's with rapping. Sometimes it's with art sometimes it's uh with stories some a lot of the time it's with role play um with sand trays and i think that with when people think of a drama therapist like some of the teenagers say to me i hate acting i don't want to do acting is it like eastenders and i'm like (laughs) no it's literally just working creatively with music and however writing creative writing just however they they want to work and express themselves and also I think um something that's important is that actually they don't have to work creatively they can just talk but I might use creative metaphors Hmm. and think about creative analog can't even speak (laughs) analogies 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 what's (laughs) wrong with me today she she goes to have a sip of water (laughs) Uh, yeah I I think drama therapy for me is working creatively um that supports the individual and it's just bespoke um Mm. session each session is bespoke um where they will come in they will check in and then all of my brain and my senses and everything becomes awake and I just naturally and react to what's in the room yeah. and once we've built the relationship instinctively I might know certain things that might work and they have the space to reject it as well and I think that is hugely important mm. yeah to... yeah absolutely it sorry you're gonna say I, something I, I, oh yeah I, I um also I use o cards a uh, lots of different cards that um I have oh, I love um o cards and uh therapeutic I use a therapeutic treasure deck cards Mm. um yeah amazing I use cards more than anything in my sessions and that's usually the way into whatever it will be yeah yeah same I'm a I'm a big fan of of cards and and have tons of decks and different decks and and I also really like what you said about 
you know, how your creative bag, your rucksack is, is full um, and how, and how sometimes our clients bags are, can be quite empty and actually creativity can be, can feel like something quite scary to, to lots of people. And, and, uh, and as you were speaking, I was, I was sort of reminded of how beautiful it is actually to, to give creativity back to people. Cause I feel sometimes it's been removed from them in, in many ways. And, and I think one of the greatest gifts of being a creative therapist is, is that is to give people back the ability to be creative again and to enjoy it. Cause mm. I think, I think a lot of people have traumatizing experiences of creativity from school. You know, there's always a, there's always a damn teacher that tells someone they're not good enough at something. And then they carry that for, for many years. Mm, yeah. I mean, I um, specialize in trauma now, which is something I always wanted to do um, since the beginning of my um, training. And uh, I mainly work with children and children and their parents, but working with a lot of children who are in care, in foster care, mm. um, and they've actually not had the opportunity to play because they've taken on different roles as a paternal or maternal figure or a caregiver um, or haven't been um, been given any items to play with um, because of the trauma in their head. um, The capacity to use their imagination has been blocked. Mm. Um, So being able to bring a child into the space and parents as well. Oh, it's magical seeing children and their parents um, playing together, but also children who haven't experienced play at all. It fills me with huge sadness, but then being able to, you know, see where they come from, even, uh, you know, hopefully I can swear on here. Yes. Um, Even working with a hugely traumatised child who had a fear Um, and rightly so, of social workers and professionals in authority and had been um, gone from placement to placement to placement and had completely shut down um, emotionally. Um, He came into the session and just went, this is shit. Mm -hmm. So then I was just like, well, just bring the play. Let's explore the shit. What is it? Is it diarrhea? Is it thick? Is it runny? Is it big? Does it stink? Yeah. Is it animals? Let's just explore the shit. Yeah. And just, and I try and invite some playfulness. Mm. Um, yeah. That's great. Yeah. And um, yeah, and, and I think that's something that's really important. Uh, even as you are asking, you know, I, I hope I can swear in this. And uh, yes, obviously, I, uh, yeah, of course you can. And because I think actually it's really important that we are a bit human as therapists, mm-hmm. that we are able to say shit if, uh, uh, you know, if it feels right or even, you know, other words. Uh, you know, I remember my work with, with uh, in addiction, there are lots of swearing going around. And, and I always remember thinking, you know, I love my job because I can, <laughs> I can say fuck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> at work and uh and it will be okay um and even thinking back so thinking to to what you were saying about drama therapy now and how you see it now as has there been any major changes from from when you first came into contact with drama therapy as an idea or even you know our training has there been any significant shifts from from when you first came into contact to now um Do you know, I think the most significant um, thing is trusting myself. Mm. Um, And I feel like the training was a real foundation, um, but now Mm. is the the work. And I feel that I was probably, you know, my first year a little bit, yes, sir, no, sir, and sticking and being seen as the good girl, following the pattern as I used to do as a child. And, um, you know, being very strict about the rituals and how they should be. But then I just threw them out of the window after getting really confident and um, just having some fantastic supervisors um, that I take elements of things from my training, 
but really I just throw everything in the air and just trust my instincts mm. and whatever's in the room um I trust that something will come up even if it's just silence yeah. and just and sitting saying do you know what I'm stuck and I'm just wondering if you're feeling stuckness um as well um what does stuckness mean to you yeah. because yeah. there's there's power in those moments as well where um something comes to you where you can just bring it into the room mm. um and i think something else that's changed is being able to challenge i i think therapy should be challenging at times it should mm-hmm. be highly um supportive and safe and um the people we work with should feel secure but i also think that at times there should be elements of challenge and that's something i would have been far too scared to have done um when i was a first year um but i feel it's it's important now i think uh and also um sitting with discomfort which makes me think about the um training how we actually weren't uh, given the invitation or the space to sit with discomfort yeah mm-hmm. and um i think if you can't sit if you can't sit with discomfort you can't be a therapist yeah yeah totally agree mm. uh, I, I just wanted to go back to you we uh, the first question when you were talking about when you were at school and teachers mm. put labels and things on and it reminded me when you were saying that it reminded me of um the teacher saying that they said lucy you are never going to amount to anything in this life mm and uh yeah that sort of stuck with me and just thinking about with um how i was at the beginning of the training and following the rules and being sort of good girl and then feeling confident it was a bit like a you know fuck you actually the training and what's happened before in the past i'm throwing it all and the only thing i can bring into a session is me me and my me and my experience and empathy and uh silliness and thoughtfulness and kindness and uh yeah yeah Weird, yeah. weirdness <laughs> yeah thanks for sharing that you know i think that's that's what i really discovered as i started practicing especially because i initially was only working with adults and and every single person had a story like that of a teacher or or someone who was meant to be important to them but you know, impacted their lives in in quite a negative way at at that moment of just telling them, you know, they weren't good enough or they would never be good enough. And, and, and some people find the motivation to counteract that and go sort of against that and tell them to, you know, fuck off. But other people are, you know, really take that on and sort of um, go through life thinking they're not enough and they won't be good enough. Um, and uh, yeah, it just goes to show it's it's so important how we speak to people and especially young people and children. Completely. Um, yeah, I, I saw that a lot. I used to work uh, for about four years in pupil referral units and um, some of the labels and the things they kept um, with them and held in their minds. And at times, um, you know, I like to think that I'm a very boundary therapist. I might share a, t- share a little bit with them about um myself still keeping professional boundaries yeah. about you know from being excluded myself from school mm. um the you know they don't have to continue with that label for life no. at all and it's just one person projecting their shit yeah. onto them and it's sometimes not even about them at all yeah absolutely um yeah and and i think it's something i want to come back to actually in our conversation because um i now that i work in schools uh, i see i see that so much of you know how sometimes i get referrals and then i meet the child and i'm like but this child is nothing like what you just told me or you know they present so differently because i present differently you know i approach them differently um, so yeah, it's so interesting. And, um, 
you know, sort of taking a few steps back, I, I was also very curious to know, uh, and also for our audience to know how how people get to drama therapy in general. I, I was wondering how, what was your path to to this profession? What were your steps? I think I'm I'm a born therapist. I was mm. born to be a therapist. Um, I am a black adopted child, and I grew up with um, brother, some brothers and sisters who have been adopted as well. We I came from a large family, mm. and uh, two of my brothers suffered severe developmental um, trauma, and um, that profoundly affected um the way I looked at the world like at school as well it was the art teacher that really connected with me mm. and just used a different um way in yeah. for me to be able to um just explore um feelings and rage mm. um and yeah she really stuck with me and I just thought yeah that's 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 interesting. And I always wanted to be a psychiatrist when I was a child. And my mum told me that I had to train, first train as a doctor. And I was like, oh. <laughs> and then talking about the labels from the, te the teacher saying you're not going to amount to anything. Yes. I used to think I was pretty thick mm. um, from an experience, actually, when um, I loved reading. And in one summer holiday, I uh, was about, I don't know, 11 or 12. And I read a really thick book of um, Oscar Wilde's The Importance of Being Earnest and I went back to school and I was just so happy and proud of myself and the teacher called me a liar and told me and really went into detail about uh, ooh, welling up a bit um, mm. really went into detail about the characters and about the plot and uh, that she didn't believe me and then that's when I shut down yeah. and became the class clown Mm. which led me to isolation and led me getting excluded. Um, so all of those things have led me to be a therapist. Yeah. And that's why um, I have a passion, a huge passion for working in adoption, fostering, um, working with um, children who've been excluded from school, working um, with children with black identity and culture. Mm. Um, these are the things I'm hugely passionate about because it just makes me just fucking angry yeah. that we were talking about the labels that yeah. um, kids get put on them, especially looking at some of the schools I've worked in with um, black boys mm -hmm. and saying that they're this and this and already putting labels on them yeah. where they're not even looking past the behaviour um, and not even exploring um, the traumas that they may have experienced. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, driven me and drives me and will continue until the day I die. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, thank, thank, thank you for, for sharing that. And I absolutely love the idea of being born a therapist. You know, it's like, it's like that gift and talent. It was always there. And, uh, you know, it's been informed by different experiences. And, and, and actually, the, the next question I had was, um, was around this topic, actually, about this, the exploration of identity and how, and how our identities like you said, motivators, how they shape, how we see the world, um, how other people see us as well, uh, and how all of that influences our, our journeys in life and our paths in life. And uh, I was wondering, what was your particular experience as a, as a Black woman in, in, a, in training to become a therapist? Uh, and also after training, you know, how was it to then go out into the world as a qualified registered ther therapist who who is black and and we know that black therapists are unfortunately still quite rare to, to mm -hmm. see yeah mm. yeah I, I you know i feel um really proud to be uh, a black therapist really really proud and uh you know i hope and 
well, you know, I, I, I know that I make my mark and uh, I won't get pushed down. Mm. Um, and I think that in our training, I, I think that um, there should be sort of, I, I think black therapists should be more nourished. There was um, a few different experiences with um, different students and I always found I was quite an observer at times, watching and seeing what was running underneath with the teachers. But mm. um, something that really stayed with me was um, in the first year, I can't remember what it was called, I'm sure you'll tell me, where, <laughs> um, is it a viviette or what was it called, Ryan? When we had to... Um, talk about bring a case study of our um, placement and we had to do an activity of something we did in our placement and then we um, went to a panel of teachers and they'd ask us questions about our experiences what's it it began with a v a viva viva yes. yeah what's that a viva <laughs> yeah and I um you know I felt there was one time with a black male drama therapist and uh he was doing his fiver and the teachers turned to him and said, we're just really interested in um, how you feel as a black therapist working with um, mainly with um, white clients. And he was the only person out of all the people in our group who was asked that question. And I was fucking fuming because I was like, if you're going to ask that question, you need to flip it. Yes. Because I remember lots of, um, I mean, it was predominantly white, our course, yeah. and um, a lot of the white therapists were working in schools, mainly schools in our first year, yeah. with um, black children. Yeah. And that question was never answered. And when I, I spoke before about sitting with the discomfort, why are we not exploring that? Yeah. Why yeah. are the teachers not exploring it? Is it to do with their discomfort that they're not able to um bring it and open it up to um for us to be able to sit with mm. um why are we not being challenged to um look at um how we are um as we represent ourselves and our identities and um if we're not able to explore that and to be able to um, pick it out and sit with the discomfort, then it's, I think it feel like it's a huge part that should be part of the training that yeah. is not there and, and, and should be there. And we should look at the differences of others and respect and have more of a w awareness of the cultural differences um because people may well have put it in their writings but only the teachers were aware of that and we we weren't yeah but I, I suppose it's you know just thinking about black lives matter and how we're talking about it a lot more it, it makes me angry that thinking of a, a female black therapist how she bought it and she named it but then it wasn't explored by the teachers it was sort of shunned away yep. shunned away and kept quite behind doors and I think that you know then if they're staying silent then are we colluding with the racism mm. well I, sp I can't speak for every every uh, black person but speaking for myself yeah. there's always going to be elements of um paranoia and mm. um you know feeling mentally unstable from every day um when i interact with people and also you know the nervousness sometimes when i know that i have a white client and how are they going to respond to me yeah and you were talking about how it was after our mm. training and during our training, I worked in CAMS. I'm not going to talk about the area. CAMS is the yeah. Child and Adolescent Mental Health Service under the National Health Service, the NHS. And um, one of the um, boys that I worked with, um, we were playing one day and we used a bit of hip-hop and rapping it. And then the next session, he came and he went, what's up, nigger? And I was like, whoa, okay. This is going to be discomfort. I didn't say this to him, but we explored it. And I thought this is going to be perhaps potentially discomfort, um, comforting for you to sit in. 
Mm. But we're going to creatively explore it and see what this is. Yeah. Um, and I think that gave me permission to challenge things, but not in a way of shaming. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because I certainly would never want to shame someone, but I might reflect back and say, oh, I'm interested. Why you're using that phase? I'm wondering where that came from. And uh, yeah, I think it's really, really important. Um, just thinking of the training as well and thinking about, I was thinking of um, strange situations. Did we do the, about attachment? Is it the oh, strange yes. situations? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it makes me wonder why, and I love doing the strange situations, my gosh. Um, so these strange situations is about looking at attachments, secure attachments, insecure attachments, um, avoidant, disorganized, um, the different attachment patterns that people have. And um, I was interested now when I think back that, yes, we did um, experiment with the strange situations, but why didn't we look at the doll um, experiment that um, uh, Mammy Clark, a black psychologist who um, looked at the way um of racial identity and yeah. cultural differences how they would bring in um white children and black children and how they would react to these dolls if we're doing things like that why aren't we bringing it in too why are we not um looking at more modern theories yeah. and um exercises that can open up conversations that need to be talked about yeah, yeah. Instead of doing it behind hushed doors and then putting a label of mental health and more therapy. Yeah, yeah. Or not having the conversations at all, you know. Mm. Actually your point of the of the viva is so is so important because if you think about where we're in our first year, we're all in our first placement, we're all in this position for the first time of being the therapist in a room, which brings with it quite a lot of power. You know, and and that it needs to be managed really cautiously, and uh, and if these things are not brought up to our attention, and um, and actually, at the time they weren't so um, sort of conscious for me, even being a a white therapist and working with, uh, yeah, all black children actually in my first year in my school placement. Um, yeah, why wasn't I challenged? And, and, and because I wasn't challenged, what kind of power dynamic was I bringing into the room? Mm. You know, and, uh, and that's so important, because that's something I didn't then start um, exploring for myself until much later, I was, I was probably already qualified when I start really investigating those dynamics for myself. Um, and by then I'd already come across so many clients. So, you know, and that's, if you think about how potentially damaging that can be, uh, I think, I think sometimes, uh, and I, yeah, and I'm quite honest about this. I think sometimes training, not just our training, but tra training in general for therapists and counselors does quite a big disservice by not uh, addressing these things proactively and, and making them part of their curriculum rather than just a, an add-on workshop that people can tick and say they, they've learned about culture within an hour, you know? Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's interesting because the roots of drama therapy are um, yes. shamanic. So um, we look at Jung and uh, Freud, but we don't go right back to the roots so much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think the importance of bringing in, um, you know, black psychologists, psychiatrists, um, even now, I think it's just hugely important. I mean, I, I don't know if it's changed when we were there eight years ago. I don't know if the curriculum's changed at all. I mean, the, the I'm not knocking the course. I mean, there were so many things that I loved about the course and um, wouldn't change at all, but I feel that it needs to be modernised. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that perhaps we should sort of incorporate just ideas from 
black therapists. I mean, I'm thinking of, because um, I specialise in trauma now, I am um, just fascinated by it. It's called the ACEs, which is the yes. Adverse Childhood Experiences. Mm-hmm. And there's, oh, a uh, um, paediatrician, a black pedia, paediatric um, woman in America called um, Nadine Burke-Harris, who is incredible. And it's just like, why are we not exploring things like this in um, yeah. in our trainings? Because, I mean, she's amazing. I mean, we didn't really touch on trauma, no. to be honest. And trauma, I think, is the root of a lot of... Um, yeah. Uh, of a lot of the referrals that I've ever received from my first placement, which was in an eating disorder unit, mm. to um, now working in an attachment and uh, a trauma centre. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God, I forgot you had that placement in first I, year. I know, I know. Because I, I wanted know. that placement, I remember. <laughs> I remember. Um, I remember. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I was just thinking as well as um, also thinking of trauma and connecting racism to trauma as well. Yeah. Huge traumas which we don't explore. Yeah. And you know, to to your point of of how our our particular training and the particular sort of approach of our institution was one based on ritual, which was based on indigenous rituals from non-white cultures. I mean, mm. it's such a missed opportunity to just <laughs> acknowledge that and, and sort of and sort of sit with the discomfort. Yeah, it's quite it's quite a missed opportunity. Um, and and I yeah, I don't know how the curriculum is right now. I, I do hope they're they're looking at it and um, I hope it's more diverse, um, Ryan, as well, because it was white males and white females. Mm, on staff, you mean? On the staff, so, yeah, yeah, on, yeah. On, on the staff, yeah. Um, mm. I mean, the teachers were amazing. There were some brilliant teachers, but I think it would be really important to have um, a black or an Asian mm. um, or, or a person of, of colour on the courses yeah yeah because it will open up a lot more and it will make it a lot more rich and diverse not only on the uh, staff side but also in the teachings yes yeah and yeah because I think I think a big a big problem with that is that um, I think a lot of therapeutic trainings sort of teach uh, trainees this approach that you can work with anybody, right? Mm. That you're equipped to work with anybody anywhere when in fact you aren't. <laughs> and, uh, and I think that comes a lot from that, pers- from that white perspective of not seeing color, not seeing gender, not seeing sexuality. You know, it's all, we can work with everybody, but actually, you know, if you were to have a black therapist on staff, that black therapist would be able to provide an insight into working with race that a white therapist could never bring and then create a, a different kind of uh, exploration and an expansiveness of, of how people work with other people and how people see the world. Mm. Uh, yeah. It's... it's um. You said the, um, you know, therapists are trained that they can work with, with anyone. But they most probably can if they work on themselves. Yes. Which it is by um, um, another black therapist, um, Andrew Curry, who um, develops the, um, the pre-transference. Mm. And that is such an opportunity to explore what fantasies and ideas we can um, take to supervision before a black client works with a white therapist or a black therapist works with um, a white client. We can explore that. Yeah. And that should be part of the curriculum. Yeah. So it's, it's, yeah, it's very ignorant to think you can work with everyone well actually not you can't and I 
also have to take to supervision and things, um, my own prejudices mm. um, and stereotypes of things. And I have to check myself in for um, certain things as well. Yeah. Um, which I feel everyone should, but perhaps it should be part of like peer supervision. Mm. Yeah, yeah. In the training. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you, you, you mentioned, you mentioned that interaction with the client, uh, already as a qualified therapist. Um, um, yeah. How, how has it been moving through, through the professional world, uh, as a, as a black therapist so hmm. far? Well, most of my work until the beginning of um, lockdown was in um, schools in um, the London area. Mm. I oh, I loved I loved it because it's predominantly um, schools with um, black and mixed ethnic ethnicity children, mm. um, and I you know what I just felt proud to just go in there and to just be able to work with them and sometimes they might say um something and I would feel similar feelings as well yeah. and be able to let them know that they're not alone mm. um for them to feel at ease that they could bring um racism and incidences where they might say you know I was um I was scapegoated for this and we can look into it and actually I might be thinking mm, tell me a bit more about this and it's yeah. it. um but what I have found interesting since on since lockdown, unfortunately, I I um, wasn't able to work in uh, schools anymore just mm. due to the coronavirus and everything going online, and with some of the children who were in care that I wasn't able to do Zoom sessions with. Um, I now work um, closer to home um, in uh, a trauma and attachment centre, and what I found thoroughly interesting and um is i'm getting a lot of clients being referred to me um who have suffered huge racism and identity and cultural issues mm. and um you know it makes me feel really proud to be able to work with them and for them to just show the discomfort and be able to um be with um someone where I can sit in that discomfort with them and it's a lived experience yeah um as well as perhaps coming from um being in care and adopted as well so it feels like the reason why I wanted to come to become a therapist I'm now in that reason mm. I'm, I'm 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 in it yeah. it's like you know when I was I don't know five and then someone said right click your heels now mm -hmm. and we're going to transport you to now I'm in it. Wow. I don't know if that makes sense, but yeah, yeah. So um, I, yeah, I, 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 I love being a therapist. Where I'm at the, um, with my clients, I have a huge mix of um different children of different ethnicities, um, and sometimes I voice it with um whether they're, it's a black or mixed ethnicity child, mixed heritage child, or with um, a white child, and we might bring race into the, mm -hmm. um, into even at this assessment period. And I might say, you know, how's it working with a black female? How's that for you? Yeah. And just bring it and name it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. yeah. I, I love your image that uh, that you are living in, in the dream that you, that you had. Mm. Uh, it's a really beautiful image. Um, and I can, and I can only imagine how impactful it is for, for children to have you as their therapist. Um, you know, especially if they're black, um, cause that's, it, it's so rare, you know, I, I've been able to work also in recruitment of counselors for schools in the past year. And, and it's dire out there in terms mm. of diversity of, of people who, who come into this profession. And, uh, and it's dire because I know who we then work in schools and I know who, uh, you know, who are our, our clients. 
uh, in schools. And, and so, you know, I, I was just this massive army of, of white therapists that are not, you know, I would argue not having sufficient training in diversity and, and mm. cultural awareness and unconscious biases and then going into to work. Um, and like you said, it's important to continue doing that exploration because um, we all have our unconscious biases. We all have our blind spots. And, and, uh, and, if you, and it's part of being a therapist to continue to explore that and to continue to you know, sit in that discomfort, as you've mentioned many times, and being challenged. Mm. Uh, mm. You know, in fact, I always tell my supervisors, you need to challenge me at all times. <laughs> um, yeah. And also, I think you mentioned challenge. I think, because um, I always think it's important to um, enable a client to feel empowered, mm. for them to challenge us. Yes. And, and for... Um, a, a white client to um, to say to me, actually, I might I feel slightly discomfort, and we can explore it. Or um, a black client to say to a white therapist, actually, you don't get this. Yeah. You don't understand it because you've not lived in it. Yeah. And it's not a, just a brush off um, thing. This is something that we live with every day. Mm. And um, of course, it's going to have um, a detrimental effect on our mental health. Yeah. Um, mm, yeah, I think challenge, yeah, not just in supervision, but also client to therapist. Yes. Because you were talking about, um, uh, the power, mm. how the therapist, um, has, um, has a very powerful, um, role. I try to make the power as balanced as I can. Obviously there's a power structure in that they are paying me mm. so there's always going to be that but that and has been named quite a few times um with clients who have said to me about um paying me and uh yeah that should that should be challenged and let's explore it and what yeah. does it mean to pay somebody as well yeah yeah i find therapy a wonderful space um just for the simple fact that it's a space where we can have the conversations that we often don't have in real life, even that conversation about money mm. and paying and what that means and what money means, you know, that was a conversation I had with my therapist as well. And every now and then I still do. And people have it with me as well as their therapist. And, um, and that's just a, an example of, of the, of the, the gift that, that exists in the therapy space to have to have the freedom to talk about things that are sometimes forbidden outside of the therapy space, uh, and and that in itself is empowering to people. I I always find mm. because it's about the the building of the relationship. That's what therapy is. Yeah, it's the you know the building of the relationship and the quality of the relationship and the attachment mm. making those. Um, making those at attachments and so why can't i why can't they challenge me yeah yeah i'm not god but mm -hmm. i i'm here to sit you sit with you and support you yeah and you know, it's like with kids i say you know some kids when i was working in people family units would say you're shit mm. i'm going i'm not going to your shit therapy session one boy who's just like i ain't working with you i ain't doing this therapy um therapies for angry people oh <laughs> always remember that therapies for angry people i said what do you want to do i just want to eat so i was like you know what we're just going to do cooking every day for every session mm. and it, incredible it was oh amazing amazing because it's about the relationship it doesn't yeah. have to be in you know freud on your chaise lounge yeah. and lying down and doing all that malarkey Therapy can be anywhere as long as there's boundaries, there's safety, um, confidentiality. Mm -hmm. At least all of that is being respected. Why can't we uh, take it into the kitchen? Yeah, absolutely. And it's so funny you say that because I was, uh, again, interviewing someone else for this podcast and they mentioned that 
part of their evolution as a therapist has also included bringing in food into the therapy, you know, and, and using that as a, a way to form that relation, those relationships. And, uh, and it struck me, you know, going back to the ACEs uh, and the, and how, and how sometimes by meeting the basic needs of a person, we can then connect to them on a, on a much deeper level. And there's nothing more basic than food and drink, right? Oh, I'll tell you, Ryan, it makes me um, well up, actually, just thinking of um, Marcus Rashford and how he's mm. um, just, wow, he's a superstar god in my eyes, and I teach my son about him all the time, but how he is, um, he's gone to the government to make sure that children don't go hungry, and many a school I have worked in, in... Um, different areas of London where actually the therapy starts when a child tells me they're hungry and we go in search of a food whether I always bring food in my bag and in some schools they have like um, bagels out and covered so so if a child is hungry they can come and get one and um, the therapy starts with actually fulfilling their basic needs Mm -hmm. comfort um, warmth and getting fed yeah. And uh, yeah, I, uh, I, I have just huge respect for um, Marcus, just so much love and respect because many a child I've worked with is not going to be able to do therapy yeah. until they've got a full tummy yeah. um, and is nourished. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And sometimes the therapy might be with them sitting in a space where they can sit and and have something to eat and I get them a glass of squash and then they might chat about their day. That is the therapy. Yeah. Yeah. And that is the building of the relationship. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's beautiful. And and I was actually just thinking of um, a client um, I had at my school and, and one of my trainees was like, you know, but they, they only want to come in and sort of lay on the, lay on the um, on the pillow and that's all they want to do and I was like so great just just do that just let them do that let them just hold the pillow in the room and let them rest if that's what they need and and eventually they started chatting and eventually you know the the like the 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 child's really started sharing and opening up but first they needed to rest and they needed that comfort and that warmth and uh and sometimes we forget those basic needs and we forget that actually many children don't have them met on a daily basis and come to school without a meal without having slept properly and um and yeah and and those are the basic needs that anyone needs to just learn first of all Mm. to learn something to participate uh you know i'm not even thinking of therapy because that sometimes it's even too much for children i find but just being in a classroom with their peers and playing you know they need some food to do that and they come to school and sleep because they feel safe yes because they feel safe yeah if they want to sleep let them do it that is the therapy you are providing a safe secure place for them to sleep so that they can go back and be the night watch person again and protect their siblings or their mum or their dad Mm. or themselves from getting abused yeah yeah did we think this did we think this would get so heavy (laughs) (laughs) i mean i mean you put you put two therapists talking sometimes that's what happens Uh, bring, a, bring a trauma uh, therapist in as well it's you know yeah I mean it's it's what we work with isn't it and 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 it's our it's our it's what we do uh, mm. day in and day out and um and, like and I said, love it yeah I I, I <laughs> love it I I feel so so blessed um it's interesting you said how you had been born a therapist and I've been thinking about that this interview and how uh, 
and how I never really planned to become one. But once I became one, I was like, oh, that makes perfect sense. (laughs) You know, (laughs) this makes perfect sense about who I am and what I value and what I can do. Uh, Yeah, it's so interesting. I I just wanted to, to also you mentioned briefly earlier of how COVID had changed a few things in your, in your practice. Um, and, you know, first of all, it stopped the practice in schools and forced you to do other kinds of work online. And how has that been? I just wanted to acknowledge that because it's been such a monumental, you know, experience that we've all faced recently. Mm. Well, I'll tell you what, Ryan, I am not going to lie, but me and technology (laughs) are not friends at all. And I was forced, forced (laughs) to go onto Zoom. Oh, Um, but I have to say, um, obviously, the coronavirus has brought huge fatalities and illnesses. And it's been a hideous experience. Um, I cannot deny that. But there has been, I found that um, during the period of the coronavirus has been my greatest learning learning experiences. Mm. Every sort of decades or so, um, something massive happens to me and just changes and forms a new self. And um, yeah, it forced me to work on Zoom and to think creatively and outside of the box of how I'm going to be able to work with um, young people Mm. creatively as well but online and uh yeah I'm very grateful to the um a lot of the drama therapists on LinkedIn who shared a lot of different ways how they um not just drama therapists um art therapists as well yeah who shared different ways how they um managed to work creatively online um, because that's really helped me and made me grow as a person because I hate I hated technology, but it's really helped me to grow as a person. Mm. Um, yeah, and just thinking of my own experiences at the beginning of lockdown, in a way with the schools closing and not being able to say um, goodbyes to um, the children was awful for me, was yeah. awful. But then by the... the um, schools close by the schools um saying that i wasn't allowed to work with the children it gave me um space to process the coronavirus and i think i went down a slippery mm. um slippery dark hole stock rabbit hole um but i was able to process the fear the anxiety um of what was happening around the world and it's made me a better therapist to be able to sit with people. And I think, you know, potentially we have and we are seeing a second wave that I can feel I can, actually I can sit and I can be here. Mm. And my anxieties um, aren't what they were before. And I'm able to, yeah, be here. Mm. Um, it's, it's, it's helped me. But yeah, I went through some huge dark darkness. And, uh, you know, just thinking about, you know, during the training as well, I think, you know, sitting in the darkness as well, I went through some extreme painful experiences from a miscarriage to Mm. going through um, in the process of a divorce and things like that. Um, But I think by sitting with the darkness and going through it and going through the pain and the rage and the anger, um, finding the light, makes you a hugely better therapist. I think the best therapists are the ones that um, have been through huge amounts of darkness and been through hell. And Mm. I say been through hell like um, I have. Um, Mm. That is what makes the therapist. So everything from, you know, suffering from a trauma when I was huge trauma when I was young, being separated from my birth parents to who I am now, Mm. the trauma who's has formed who I am enabled for me to sit with trauma yeah uh yeah you're almost leaving me speechless Lucy <laughs> I just have a, <laughs> a big smile on my face I, I I just uh I've just always uh admired you so much and uh and looked up to you um 
during our training and uh, I found you, I find you obviously still to this day, uh, an incredibly grounded person, actually, someone who can experience great trauma and live through it and, and thrive after and, uh, you know, and learn from it and, and still have great and still have space for great joy, you know, because that's so important. Uh, and I love that you are Lucy Joy. And uh, <laughs> um, because, because that's, because that's the other aspect I feel a lot in, in therapy is also to, to show people at what, at, you know, after we process trauma, I think it's also so important to show people how to experience joy in their lives. And sometimes uh, that's also a massive function of therapy and of our work is to show that to people. And I guess as creative therapists, we, we use that a lot through the play and we sort of reteach people how to play and, and how to enjoy playing for the sake of it without having to have any special meaning or anything. <laughs> You know, it's, it's funny why, why, why you say that because the other day I was um, playing Jenga with a child in the session, and uh, they were they were a bit sort of cagey about playing it. I was like, and I just said, "We're just playing Jenga. There's no. I'm not going to be psychoanalyzing yeah. you. <laughs> I'm not reading you. We're just going to play. We yeah. just play." Um, but yeah, yeah, that's why I was laughing. <laughs> yeah. And uh, as we were just coming to sort of the end and wrapping up the the episode and the conversation and I was wondering um you know I mentioned joy and that's one of sort of one of my final questions I'm wondering what gives you joy and how you practice joy in your life Uh, Hmm. um well my biggest joy is uh my son, oh, my my little my little son. He is um, just incredible, and he's so funny. He's so funny, and I learned so much from from him about child development and about um, just his the imagination and the playfulness. And he's he made, has made me. I was playful before, but he's made me a lot more playful. Um, friends like yourselves, um, mm-hmm. you know visiting each other which I need to do more of um which I miss um I do do miss a lot um but friends um family chocolate um (laughs) uh and just and also just join life I know it just sounds it might sound a bit wank but nature you know Mm -hmm. going to parks and uh visiting the sea and um just um seeing children be playful um yeah just watching shite tv yeah. uh, good baths um yeah i think uh, i think just to be honest just being healthy mm. and, and and working how grateful because you know it's shocking the amount of people that have lost jobs yeah. it just it ups uh, just upsets me um lots of friends have and to be able to be healthy uh to have love um and to have a job that i love and i'm hugely grateful to be um employed um i love my job and i love the children and the parents and the staff the crazy staff that i work with <laughs> um that brings me joy that i and also i feel like i've um just grown into my skin that gives me joy that now actually I don't just shit um so I will use my voice and I will um maybe not be a um ticket boxed uh therapist but I will just bring me um with professional boundaries Mm. and uh yeah it brings it brings me joy that I've created who I am today hmm yeah. Beautiful. Uh, <laughs> and singing badly as well. Yes, singing, I sing. <laughs> Yeah, I do that too. <laughs> we haven't had a boogie for a good while, have we, Ryan? No, it's been a very long time. Yeah. 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 Um, okay, so final thing. Oh. I'm gonna give you I'm gonna say five words. Oh no. And I want you to say whatever word 
comes up or even an, an image that comes to you rather than a word. And um, yeah, is that all right? Just some quick okay, Freud. word Let's images. You know, maybe you, maybe you should have shown me some of like the ink spot images <laughs> <laughs> as we're creative therapists. Perhaps you should have brought in something creative so I can tell you what I see. But well, but it, it's going to be an audio <laughs> experience for our listeners, so it's true. But you could have to... described, you could have could described, have. yeah, yes, yes, another have... podcast, another day. Yes, I could have put on my therapist voice and. <laughs> Go down, go down the notch. Um, okay, so okay. first word, uh, feel. Emotions. Love. Life. Grow. With strength. Mm. Connect. Humans. And final word, heal. Racism. Mm. Wow. Thank you, Lucy, so much for your time. Um, I've really enjoyed spending this time with you. Um, I hope our listeners will enjoy getting to know you as well. Uh, it's been a privilege. It's a privilege being in your life and being being able to call you friend. And uh, I can't wait to see you again in person and be able to have a uh, a drink uh, by the sea and, and chat again. And yeah. Oh, well, thank you so much for inviting me. And uh, yeah, it's an, I feel honoured to have been invited on your uh, podcast. And uh, yeah, we're right back at you. Um, yeah, I've always admired you and uh, I, uh, yeah, I adore you. I adore you, Ryan. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, let's, uh, let's make 2021 where uh, we spend time face to face and in person. Yes. I'm very happy to oblige. <laughs> okay. um, thank you. Thank you, everyone, for listening and uh, see you next time.